Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy, joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam Hartings. Things are looking up, Mark. That's for the air for Munster and hopefully for Ireland as well. Indeed. You know, we're just moving out of January into February. Six Nations are upon us. So I suppose our key discussion points uh, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk about the Munster Rugby win over Benetton Rugby. Classic game in Treviso, 40-30. So we'll have reaction to that. URC round 13 roundup. Look at the Irish provinces, 4 for 4 And also Guinness Six Nations preview. Uh, get Liam's thoughts. His hopes, his dreams, his aspirations and predictions um, for the tournament ahead. I suppose, Liam, we'll look at last Saturday, Munster travelled to Italy to face on Benetton Treviso. 40-30, the score, 10 tries, absolute classic by all accounts, Liam. I really enjoyed this game, you know. <laughs> it was like, I don't know, probably more super rugby, to be fair, than than, than the typical URC fair. What impressed me was to, to go 12 minutes down after 12 minutes and the fact that we came back so strongly, particularly in the second half. Um, the cr- tries we created were, were cracking. Tr- I have to say, Benetton's tries were also, you know, really, really top, top quality. Delighted with the performance. Yeah, I think you have to be delighted with a number of the aspects of the performance team, as you say. But maybe we start from the start. Tricky opening for Munster, given how well Benetton rugby started. We'd speculated last week on this podcast, Liam, about Benetton rugby, the enforced changes given Six Nations with Italy, the 15 players gone, but you wouldn't have known here, Liam. You know, particularly the the interchange of play here, likes of Umanga, Sanon, Smith, Mendy. I mean, there was line breaks coming from all angles here from Munster, and Munster were struggling to get a grip on this game, suddenly going 12-0 down after about 12 minutes. Yeah, that, but to be fair, that, that first 10 minutes was just hectic all over the shop. Like, it was like knock-ons, turnovers. Like, one team gets the ball, then they knock it on. Next team gets it the ball, and they get turned over, yeah. But, look, yeah, that first try for Uzanon uh, for was, like, tremendous break um, with uh, Jacob Maga prominent and Zanon finishing. I thought it was an absolutely smashing try altogether. And I know, I know you could be looking at, I think, for me, Jack O'Sullivan, maybe potentially Witcherly, even Carberry, were kind of maybe directly in the line there, you know. But uh, no, no, I thought it was a tremendous try. Yeah, no, I just think the speed of play, quick rook ball, thought the explosive power here of Umanga as well, into Zion, particularly for that first try. And also the Smith try for Mendy, you know, the, the changing up of the play there was really, really inventive from Benetton. You can see how they've where they are on the table they're there for a reason and i think they're very expansive basic fundamentals here but i mean executed very well and to be fair I, you have to compliment benetton it was a fantastic start everything you'd want from a host here 12 nil up on the up and i mean munster really looking for answers fairly quickly and to be fair to munster players stood up put the hand up the resiliency we repeat it every week here Liam. this resiliency of this group of players from munster is beyond reproach at this stage and culminating here in the try for Patterson I think it was great link up play from Carberry and also Nash as well but Patterson had a powerful game for Munster yeah he did I mean I mean look look Nash had a lot to do there he, he's chipping and charge uh, and and catch again and look beautiful offload to Paddy Patterson and then suddenly it was 12 well 
conversion was 12-7 and to be honest with you that was it we were back in the game then at that stage so yeah I, I mean you'd have to admire the way Munster came back Fekitoa, um what's happened to him the last two weeks and again this week I suppose is he he's carrying he's he's very strong carrying very prominent carrying I thought he was very prominent in that first 20 minutes Fekitoa is finding his feet with Munster I think Munster are finding their feet with Fekitoa I think he's just such a powerful ball carrier. You can imagine coming into the spring, early summer, playoff rugby, and looking for a good direct fastball. There's no guy there in the roster here. Malachi Fikatoa would take an awful lot of boxes here if he remains match fit to be a powerful runner. And it's that cohesion here in terms of the ball carrying, the offloading support runners here. But we'll do Munster the world of good here going down the stretch. I suppose going back to 12-7, I have to mention in terms of Calvin Nash, prominent for the Patterson try. He goes off injured with a rib injury. That's been assessed with Munster Rugby medical staff during the down week this week. But Carberry goes back and full back and a last-ditch tackle here. And Sullivan winning a turnover. That would have been a critical score for Benetton Rugby if they'd gotten it. For me, that was it. This was a 25th, 26th minute. That little tap tackle on Bellini because I, I thought he was away. Uh, absolutely that if, if not him he was going to pass on the outside and your man was gone you know what I mean <laughs> simple as that like yeah I thought so uh, and crucially um, I think Jack, o- Jack O'Sullivan turned the ball over then immediately afterwards and that was I mean we talk about seven point swings that was uh, you know that was definitely going to be a swing there and then a few minutes later we had actually Jack O'Sullivan um, getting the try uh, conversion and we were two points ahead so that was yeah. it I thought it was just, I think you mentioned at the start of this podcast, Liam, just in terms of the sequence of play, you can see the confidence building again. The flat pass from Healy to John Hodnett. Hodnett just had a massively powerful game throughout. And again, to set up Jack O'Sullivan, I thought it was a wonderfully executed score here. And I mean, I think both teams were just given as good as they got. I know Umanga basically slots over a penalty right before half time to go 15-14. But I suppose, Liam, from a muscle rugby perspective, as I was looking at it, it was more a sense of relief here that we were only just down for a point, down by a point, just given the forty minutes that had unfolded. Yeah, again, I suppose look at first whatever you know to have forty minutes it was tough on us, but I thought you know we we were more prominent in in the the second half of the first half there, so I think it was just about right. It was pretty much pretty much even over the course of that first half in terms of uh, general play. But yeah, I mean John Hodden at fresh try. He, you know, he he's kind of so well built. You know, he's not a huge guy, but he 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 is quite powerful. And uh, yeah, he did smash in first half as well. Absolutely, and again, he continued it straight in the second half. Munster, whatever Graham Roundtree and management said, had the desired effect because I thought that was a very dominant third quarter. I thought one of the tries of the season again. We're talking about tries of the season here for Munster rugby. Such a contrast when you consider the start of the season and Paral Munster were struggling for tries. They're scoring tries for fun at the moment here, Lehman. Some great hands here from Daly, Healy, Joey Carberry, Coombs. And Hodnett had a bit to do. But again, a nice kind of, you know, offload, uh, fake, get over it. I mean, suddenly we're 21-15 up with Carberry's conversion. Yeah, and as you said, like, like he he went down the left. He he, he did a bit to do there, like... um. Any any player could easily have been been put out there, but yeah, um, good good try and look, we were we were ahead again. I suppose the next thing then is is that Umaga break where Healy put his hands out. You'd have to say deliberately, <laughs> and again, I, for me, like you know, 
I know you people might have been saying that it wasn't the try wasn't on. To me, the try was definitely on. I mean, I mean, you talk about covered, but it was two monster guys there. Yeah, but I mean, it was the way he was running. He was running away and he was running to the corner. I, I, again, I, it would have been hard, hard to to catch him there. So look, anyway, it was a second Healy yellow card in two weeks, but you know, it was I guess a good yellow we call it. It's that fine balancing act, you know player going for the ball but again if you don't get to it there's ramifications and I think the locals here Benetton Treviso management may be kind of thinking a little bit a little bit hard done by here the yellow card does get issued by the match official but we also do have a kind of um the the penalty try aspect that wasn't given obviously but um all credit to Munster you know they quelled the pressure here uh, from Benetton then went up the end, other end of the pitch uh, Jean Klein there was some marvellous pack play here Liam, you wouldn't have known that Munster Rugby were down to 14 players. Some yeah. lovely phases. Salanoa. But Salanoa through the line, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Salanoa had a prominent performance, particularly ball in hand. Creates the opportunity for Klein to crash over and, hey, presto, we get the bonus point. I mean, how bad? Like, you know, I mean, that was 50 minutes, you know? I mean, and then it was just a question of, can we actually tack on more, more probably more scores and, and uh, build up a, a good points differential? So yeah, that was that was a, that was tremendous to see. We had a kind of another yellow then for for Dermot Barron to bring us briefly down to thirty. I mean, I think it was like thirty seconds to be honest about it because I think yeah. Ben Healy came back on again at that stage. So we we were lucky enough there. Again, I'm cynical. <laughs> again, you know, from a local perspective, Bennett and Rugby probably a little bit infuriated that there wasn't a little bit more from it. But I mean, Barron did what it had to do, got sin bin, but. Benetton stay composed, worked phases, and created space out wide for Mendy to score. Um, some good quick hands there from Benetton to really kind of bring this to the melting pot. We have to add, Umanga did actually score a penalty. It was 18-28, then it went to 23-28. So, I mean, game very much in the melting pot with 20 minutes to go here, Lim. Yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, that's for sure. I suppose it, it did, crucially then we got a, a fifth try to give that bit of a kind of 10 points differential with Anton Frisch going over. If I'm correct, that must be nearly his his first real competitive try for Munster. So yeah, that was tremendous to see. A sixth try just kind of was tacked on there at the very end. Lovely pass, delayed pass there from 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 Healy, and Carberry goes over. Well worked try again. You know, I mean, I think the block from Hurley, Patterson's kick downfield. I suppose you have to highlight Shane Daly as well for when a turnover ball deep in Benetton rugby territory to can really set up the first try. You have to compliment Ben Healy here as well for the crossfield kick, identifying space out wide. And I mean, as you say, for Carberry's try as well, really good. I mean, they're all very well-worked tries, very patient in terms of the build-up, committing Benetton replayers to the rook area. And as well, Carberry, unfortunately, Carberry had to switch back to full-back after 20 minutes. But I think you could see the potency he has ball in hand. And I think, you know, this will go a long way in terms of if there was any confidence issues, really, Restored him. I know there was one or two kind of kicks that didn't go over, but I thought overall for Joey Carberry, I thought it was a very good afternoon for him in Italy. Yeah, it certainly was, like in terms of his overall general play. And again, look, we have to look a bit selfishly in terms of Munster for the, the crucial local games because we are going to be in the, the URC knockouts, we are going to be in Europe. And I mean, even having a Teely, a he, sorry, a Healy 10, Carberry 15. Possibly Crowley twelve. I mean, that's that that again has to be looked at as a combination, you know. Certainly, when you consider Mike Haley, the ankle, 
he's in rehabilitation at the moment, so we just don't know when, what the prognosis there, timelines. So I think all bets are off in terms of that trio. Uh, I think the trio will be playing pivotal roles for Munster uh, for the rest of the season. So, you know, as you say, that potential um, selection might be a viable option here, uh, Liam, to be fair. I suppose we can mention Bennett and Rugby at the end. Uh, Mendy gets his hat-trick uh, right at the end again, 30-40. I think that was a great kind of win for Munster Rugby, given the circumstances. Pushes them up the table to sixth uh, right now and uh, kind of has the team well set for a key three-game homestand, uh, starting with the Ospreys uh, in a few weeks' time. I know with the but we also are playing Glasgow, so we're playing directly teams that are going to it's going to really push us up the up the table if we can win all the, the three remaining games in this in this part. And like the way things are going, we probably have to be aiming for the, that sixth sixth spot with the Sharks with two games in hand. Realistically, I think the Sharks we're going to have fifth nailed. So I think sixth is very much uh, on for us. Yeah, there's no margin for error here for Munster Rugby. I think this three-game homestand, the pressure has to be applied. It needs to be three wins, and hopefully there's maybe one or two bonus point to try victories coming out of them. Heading down to South Africa, you just don't want to be depending on results going down to the last two weekends of the season. So Munster would have been, Liam, when we were talking back September-October, it's a hell of a lot better than what they were back then. So there is momentum. You can see the form line really being created here. Players really buying into the system, the attacking system. And I think Dennis Leamy voted best, was reminded about this in, on Twitter, that Leamy said, evaluate the team in January and February. And by God, has he been spot on here? You can see the form line, you can see the progression in terms of performances here, Leamy, of this Munster rugby team in recent weeks. A massively competitive 10-game block, seven wins, three losses. And I think all bodes well for a very exciting end of season for Munster rugby. Yeah, and you, and you could say Munster have been... I argue with the team of the season, really, in terms of after that first four or five games, it's been Munster. Munster have been the form the form team, arguably. So it's been it's been tremendous, and we are going to be in the melting pot without a shadow of a doubt in both competitions, and we have a chance. Yeah, I think we have real serious chance here, and I don't think anyone will fancy playing Munster, given the form line that they've showed in recent weeks. Even the performance against Toulouse now, the form line has been established there. Toulouse, one of the big juggernauts of European Cup rugby. I mean, unlucky not to win in the Ernest Wallon. So I think all bodes well. And a nice maybe down week here for Munster before they start preparations afoot for mid-February and that three-game homestand. I suppose, Liam, looking at personnel issues within Munster here, we had news of the departure of Kieran MacDonald after his short-term contract. John Ryan obviously was departing for... Uh, the Chiefs, but um, again, there was a press release uh, released straight after uh, today to indicate, along with Rory Scannell, Niall Scannell, uh, that John Ryan was going to be signing on for the following season after his uh, Super Rugby commitments are over with the Waikato Chiefs. I mean, great tonic for Munster Rugby. Tremendous. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest, we were, we, were, we were kind of shitting ourselves about next season and we're not really having a top tight head prop like, you know. So, you know, there you go. It's it, that's it's worked out perfectly for for everyone all around. So I'm delighted to see John Ryan back and to be continuing his career um, with his with his home province. 
I suppose what 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 does it say also is that uh, John Ryan is now prominent in the in the the thoughts of Andy Farrell as potentially maybe the the, the third choice uh, title prop currently mm. after Furlong and Bealham. I think that's that's got a lot to do with it and what Andy Farrell says now goes and the IRFU do exactly what he says and I think that was very very much part of it. I also would have to say that it feels to me like uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of there, there was a, a kind of a rumours going around about kind of world class title process we were after and maybe the money wasn't quite available as well to to go after them. I think it's a strategic change here from the province and the player. So obviously you have to consider then there's outside factors here, probably namely the RFU. And I think Andy Farrell, I think you spot on here. I think there has been a strategic change here. And maybe it's Andy Farrell being pragmatic here, looking at all these options in tight head prop situation. We've called it out in recent weeks here, Liam, particularly with Ireland. It's all well and good having Tyke Furlong, Finley Bealham. But given the World Cup schedule later on in the year, we may need a third choice tight head prop to really kind of solidify squad depth charts. We don't have that right now. So obviously John Ryan signing up for next season really does maximise the opportunities here for Andy Farrell to really run the rule over John Ryan. And uh, again, quality tight head props are very hard to come by. So I think it's a, an interesting one here, certainly. Given the communications, given the press releases from both the player and the province when this news had broke uh, at the start of the year. So I think obviously here, Liam, it's great news for Munster. And as you say yourself, it probably does indicate a little bit in terms of competition, in terms of world-class props not being in the mix for them. Uh, so, but again, I'm delighted to see the Scandal Brothers as well um, commit to 2025. Solid squad players. Oh, nothing to Munster Rugby really. Uh, so it's great to see Nile and Rory kind of commit. And also Edwin Adogbo, uh, I think a key one here as well, uh, Liam. Obviously on the academy contract until next year. And then signs a two-year professional contract, which is, I think, huge for the player, huge for the province, and potentially huge for Ireland as well going forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the guy is just—he's already built for international rugby. I mean, obviously, I would have no—I would have no problem throwing him against Wales off the bench, like on Saturday. Like honestly, I wouldn't. I suppose then I also look at it in terms of Kieran McDonald. And he's short stint with Munster, and he kind of didn't get a look in in the last few weeks. He was certainly still there and available for selection. But yeah, uh, a dog boy is, is a tremendous talent for the future. Indeed. You know, and it's locking down another real good prospect. And again, this academy, which may be much maligned a few years ago, is really turning out top quality talent. And uh, I suppose the news as well here, Aleem, in terms of uh, Ian Costello's uh, new role, uh, the head of rugby operations. I'm quoting Munster Rugby here. It'll oversee the long-term strategic development of the elite player pathway, succession planning, and provide recruitment support for developing the retention and recruiting of players in conjunction with the head coach. So, so again, it shows the stature of Ian Costello to get a kind of job here, which is really going to be working in tandem with Graham Rowntree, particularly in an awful lot of aspects of the organisation. Yeah, certainly. I mean, what he's done in terms of the academy and the, the tremendous talent coming through, you know, even I think of Rowan Quinn and you have you have Tony Butler, many other players, you know, on, on the cusp at Munster as well coming through from the academy. He is going to be a, a key appointment to have him back in, in a, a key role. And he'll be obviously clearly liaising with Graham Roundtree. So it's 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 great news for Munster. Yeah, no, a vast experience. 
given his managerial, his coaching career, particularly in England, his networks, his contracts, in terms of the recruiting element of this, I think is a key one. I think there's a realisation amongst rugby that there does need to be a little bit of improvement in terms of the recruiting of players. So I think from that perspective, all good. And in terms of development of elite players as well, I think that is a key one as well. Um, so uh, it is a, a progressive move from Munster Rugby. You have to applaud them to that. They've obviously assessed and reviewed where things need to go. And obviously Ian Costello really takes an awful lot of boxes here as well. Again, the academy is in good state of affairs. It'll be interesting to see who actually takes over from the uh, Ian Costello in the academy. But again, I think the grassroots the structures are built in place here. An awful lot of credit needs to go to Ian Costello here for the Trojan work and along with the staff in the last few uh, years, really. So I'm even thinking of Evan Hurley uh, here as well, uh, from the Academy, Ruin Quinn. There's an awful lot of good prospects coming in through the door here of Munster and being thrust into first-team action. And again, they haven't let the side down. So I think it's a testament to Ian Costello and the Academy structures. And we wish Ian all the best in terms of that head of rugby operations role. We'll look at your seed round 13 uh, review. It was four from four from the Irish provinces, I suppose. What stood out for you in terms of the action from the Irish provinces uh, last weekend? Well, I saw the, the the Ulster Stormers game, and I suppose what stood out for me, like they, the Ulster performance was 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 excellent, but um, it has to be said it was in the back of a, an entirely almost second string Stormers side that they brought over, which is understandable at this point uh, after the European Cup. Um, and also, there was a bit of a incident there with Vermeulen and um, on Evan Roos. But I mean, look, the Ulster, they were able to get seven or they got five converted tries and they are gone right up the table again. So it was it was, it was overall a good night for, for Ulster. Yeah, you'd called it last week as well, Liam. You'd sense that Munster Rugby... At turned the corner, particularly the La Rochelle results away, granted they'd lost. That season-defining fixture win against Sale Sharks in the Kingspan, and they followed it up. Now, you can argue all you want about the Stormers and the squad that they brought in for the fixture. But I thought Ulster were very much on the front foot. And, uh, yeah, I thought well-deserved. Now, I think the organisers, hate to repeat myself, in terms of scheduling the Stormers, you know, literally with the South African teams having to go through Dubai as well for their stopovers. I mean, it's a massive logistics challenge to get from South Africa to the British Isles and also Ireland. So I think from that perspective, there needs to be some viable scheduling here because it does have a sentiment of competition integrity about it, does it, Liam? When you have Stormers who have fronted up very well in recent rounds, then to turn around and name a very weakened side, it doesn't do much or undervalues the competition a little bit, does it? Yeah, I suppose. Look, it's it's kind of almost like pretty much giving Ulster the walk over, really, you know. But um, it's understandable. But again, I, I, and this is a crazy thing, as you point out, to have to go via Dubai, to, to almost have to turn the opposite direction as where they should be going, just because at the behest of their sponsors. I mean, that's just, I, I don't know how viable that's going to be going forward. Um, so they're going to have to think long and hard about that. I mean, it, it, it is a, a massive travel disadvantage to the South African teams. 
they're probably going to look at it logistically and say, look, um, if we have a few games at the end of the season, we can afford to lose one or two games just at this point. But also, it's, it's to be fair, the the in England, their premiership is, is still ongoing and France is ongoing. So you, you do kind of have to get these games played, these two or three games played as well. Yeah, because the international window is so tight as it is. As you say, these fixtures do have to happen. They have to happen in November. They have to happen in January and February. Otherwise, we wouldn't be. It'd be like a French situation where you'd be playing until the end of June, July, and then teams are already back in pre-season. So I think from that perspective, it has to happen. But I think the organisers need to really sit down with all parties, really, and even the airline company in particular, uh, to see if there's any viable options here uh, in terms of rectifying a few scheduling issues here that has been seen in recent weeks. I suppose, uh, Liam, I was at the sports ground and watched Connacht's Save Our Season fixture against the Lions. It's fair to say there was a reaction after the Newcastle Falcons' a loss, uh, 43-24. I suppose played and played, outstanding at scrum half, and a marquee moment for Jack Carty, surpassing Eric Elwood's point-scoring tally for Connacht Rugby. So, all in all, I thought it was a very much improved performance from Connacht Rugby, and it needs to be. Yeah, and but I mean, I mean, again, what's what's crucial there is Connacht to get the victory to not let the Lions, who are at the same level on the table, get any points. So Connacht are rising the table, which is which is great to see this time too. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I mean, Lions give as good as they got probably in the first half, but they suddenly, I think, second quarter wise, gaps started to emerge in that Lions. Um, midfield particularly line speed of Connacht was much improved I thought Blade played the game beautifully and Lyons really didn't have an answer for him in terms of whether he was going to snipe whether he was going to kick whether he was going to provide quick distribution off the rooks I thought he's a guy in the top of his form at the moment here Liam I'm just wondering in terms of outside fringe call-ups Six Nations in a traditional tournament do you see and Blade being maybe a viable backup here for the likes of a Gibson Park uh, for any of the Six Nations fixtures, particularly at the end if injuries do were to be set, uh, the scrum half unit for Ireland. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, he's always been highly rated, hasn't he? But he has, has he has he even got much uh, kind of squad time with Ireland? Probably the way the way he's looking at the moment, like with you've obviously Gibson Park, but you also have. Casey and Murray are very much kind of the, the trio there. And yeah, after that, possibly Luke McGrath, you know. So, I mean, he's probably fifth choice maybe at the moment for Ireland. But on form, he probably should be in the top three. He definitely is one of the form informed scrum halves in this competition this season. Hasn't put a foot wrong in my eyes. And I mean, you know, the, the performance was very, very good. Um, I think in terms of Connacht, the Murray brothers at the top were very prominent in second row as well. All in all, I thought it was a performance that was required, just given that Newcastle Falcons results, and just to keep the season alive, Liam, I would say. I'm looking at the fixture list for Connacht. On the 18th of February, they travelled to Italy to play Zebri. No respect to Zebri, but you would expect Connacht to come away with a bonus point win. They then travelled to Rodney Parade to face the Dragons, who are kind of really out of contention. And then they have a crunch game on the 25th of March with Edinburgh in the sports ground. I think that's a season-defining fixture for Connacht. There can be no more slip-ups here. And I mean, there's a key three-game stand right there for Connacht to build a bit of form and momentum. 
and I suppose look, at that stage though there'll be a balance between doing that and also the knockout stages in the Challenge Cup that has to be put into contention as well for Connacht. Exactly, and in the URC, if we want to be complete about this, Connacht do finish with a home game in Cardiff Rugby on the 15th of April, another must win I would say, and then they travel to Scotston to play a Glasgow Warriors team that might be looking for a result as well, so all in all, this is a, a fixture list you would respectively say here that Connacht would need to win at least five out of the six fixtures here to really have a really good shout here of uh, getting into playoff contention, really. And I suppose I'm including the Alliance there in terms of that six fixture stand, really. So, all in all, it was a good night. Um, again, Jack Carty, magnificent servant for Connacht Rugby, uh, surpassing Eric Elwood. Uh, again, that was a marquee moment. And to be fair to the side, the performance was on point and Lions really didn't threaten in that second half, really. You know, they were they were under the cost a little bit. Um, but no quality game in sports ground. I suppose quickly, Leinster, 38-14 win over a Cardiff Blues team that unfortunately seems to be hitting rock bottom at the wrong time of the season. Yeah, which is which is kind of a, the team we had great high hopes for, but yeah, they're going down the wrong way. And look, all I can say is Leinster, the, the machine just keeps on going, no matter, even if you're throwing the academy lads, you know, and that's what seems to have happened there. Exactly. No, the amount of academy players that came in they just didn't miss a beat the daily. It was just, and I think it galvanised and energised. I think Reese Ruddock probably said it best in post game that the emergence of those academy players coming in it brought a freshness to the side, the squad, and players really did respond to that. Uh, I mean, from a Cardiff rugby perspective, really it is kind of looking kind of perilous right now. They're eleventh place at the moment on twenty nine points, and essentially their fixture list really. They're pretty much almost wins at the moment, playing Benetton, Ulster in a key home stand on the 18th and the 4th of March, Zebri away on the 24th. Obviously, they have Sale Sharks in the Challenge Cup, but then they travel to Connacht on the 15th of April, which I think is a make or break, and ultimately concluding with a game with the Ospreys in Swansea. So, I mean, from that perspective here, Liam, it's, um, it's crunch time for Cardiff Rugby, but taking nothing away from Leinster Rugby, I thought they were efficient needed to do what they needed to do, got the bonus point and pretty much out of sight. And I would <laughs> probably safe to say that there would be a number one seat uh, going into the playoffs here for the URC. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, to be honest about it, they, 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 could, they could feed an academy side for the next four or five games and it wouldn't matter. They are, they're just completely gone away from even the second team in the table. Exactly. So, like, let's be complete about it. The, the five-game stand left. Leinster at home to Dragons. They're away to Edinburgh. They then have the Stormers on the 24th of March. be interesting to see what Stormers side would come to the RDS there. Obviously, the week after is Leinster-Ulster in the Champions Cup. And then is the South African trip. They have the Lions in Johannesburg on the 15th of April, culminating then with the trip to Pretoria to play the Bulls. I think at that stage, I think the decision might be to bring the academy players and a few of the prospects down uh, to basically play the, those fixtures. So I think all in all, Leinster are in a fine spot in terms of URC action. Those, that's it for URC for a few weeks here, Liam. And we will talk about that in the next few weeks. But I suppose attention focuses on the Six Nations. Starts this weekend. We have Wales versus Ireland in Cardiff. England versus Scotland in Twickenham. And you have Italy and France as a Sunday matinee. I suppose what's your hopes and aspirations uh, for the tournament? 
Well, you know, here we are again with the the greatest rugby tournament in the world. So <laughs> it's we're all full of hope and optimism and uh, anticipation, I guess too. Um, in terms of what's going to happen, I mean, it's just it's just so unpredictable because for me, even Italy winning in their last game against. Wales and kind of have a bit of a spring in their step. Traditionally, their first game up, they're also at their at their toughest. So I think even France are are not going to have it all their way in that Italian game. They're in Italy as well. Um, France are so that would be that'll be interesting. But I mean, there's so many subplots. I think some of the subplots this year is is actually the coaches. <laughs> you know, so yeah, when you have the likes of. Um, Warren Gatland and, and and Steve Borthwick and will there be a bit of an upswing which I would expect from the those two coaches we then have Scotland with a, under the coaching of Gregor Townsend he's, he seems have he's brought in a number of players one of them being Ben Healy and then we have Ireland are Ireland going to kick on are France going to win a, a second back-to-back Grand Slam? So it's just it's just tremendous all over the, the the place, really. Yeah, I think this is one of the most open and competitive tournaments that I can remember. Anyway, Liam, I mean, realistically, you could give at least four or five of these teams a serious shout of being probably Six Nations champion. You know, I mean, competition fixtures. You know, one loose tackle. You know, could fundamentally change a season for a team. But I suppose, Liam, we could maybe kind of look at some of the fixtures here. Ireland v Wales. So as we recorded this uh, podcast episode, Warren Gatland and Wales have announced their 23-man squad and uh, an awful lot of experience in that starting lineup. But also some youth sprinkled in for good measure here, uh, Liam. What are your thoughts on this Welsh outfit uh, ahead of the opening fixture in Cardiff? Yeah, he's got he's gone back to the old guard, hasn't he? He's got six or seven of of, of his tried and tested guys, including a thirty four year old Lee Halfpenny, um, who you know ultimately selected ahead of Liam Williams, who like is an incredible talent, you know. Um, and I suppose Owen Williams potentially could have been in there at centre, but Watkins is is, is kind of highly rated, and yeah, even like the likes of Louis Rezamet. Tommy Reffel, um, Tane Basham, you know, there are there are a number of prominent players that are that are left out of that team. Um so Gatlin is going for the tried and trust and trusted. Will, you know, is it the last hurrah of of great players or is it the start of something new again? Um I think the wheels are very, very dangerous in this fixture for us. I mean, I mean, I, it, it, they'll grind it down to to, to an absolute dogfight, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if we lost. To be honest with you, very rare that Wales do have two back to back poor Six Nation campaign. And let's be brutally honest, last year was a bit of a nightmare tournament for Wales. Take aside the home win against Scotland, there was an awful lot of low points, and I suppose culminating in that November Test series. I mean, the loss to Georgia, even the Italian loss. And the last game, Six Nations, it carried over to November. The Australian loss where they blew a big lead going into the final quarter. Changes were required. And ultimately, Wayne Pivak was given the boot. Or Gatland in. There's been subtle changes in the backroom staff. But I suppose from a Gatland perspective, he's picked on form. You know, when you consider that you have eight Ospreys players in the first 15, 
for the four named on the bench. It's really just rewarding the Ospreys players for their excellent form in European and URC actions. So I suppose from an Ireland perspective, nothing probably nothing too new to expect from Wales, but Wales are going to bring the physicality. They're going to bring the aggressive line speed defensively, and they're going to bring a very much an astute kicking game here for Ireland. And it's really up to Ireland here to really execute to unlock a Welsh side who will be buoyed and looking for a good start to the tournament. I, I think too, I mean, it's no coincidence that since Gatland has been appointed that the Welsh size in general, there's, there's been a, a, a new um, spring in their step. I mean, the Ospreys have certainly been in, in excellent form. Even the, the Scarlets, you know, have, have done well in their last two games. And that's kind of no coincidence. But yeah, um, I think also for me, in terms of Wales, I think seeing Reese Webb on the bench, um, he hasn't been involved in squads in a long time, but Gatland, he he's he really is quite ruthless, Gatland, in terms of his selection. That's just even going back to the old Driscoll with the Lions days, you know, and, and he will pick who he thinks is going to do get the get the more the line. I certainly wouldn't be um full of confidence going going to Wales. Um it'll be interesting to see of course what how we counteract what Wales are invariably going to do in terms of their their ferocious work at the breakdown and they're always very, very um, a good scrummaging unit as well. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there, Liam. I think the back row unit, Jack Morgan, Justin Tipperick, and then Falatel, like it's a, it's, a, it's a quality back row unit. So Ireland will have their work cut out there on that side of things. Maybe the vulnerability here for Wales, and maybe it's a little bit harsh, is maybe the squad depth off the bench, particularly in that front five. I'm kind of looking here. There's an over-dependency on Ken Owens quite clearly. Adam and Jones as well. So again, coming into the 45th, 50th minute here, you're going to have front five guys coming in off the bench. Now, Tommy Revel, I think, is a key guy here. But again, there's an awful lot of unproven guys here that need to step up to the plate here for Wales to get a win here over Ireland. Uh, so I think from that perspective, pack-wise, I think squad depth chart issues definitely for Gatland to address here. Now, you could argue the point that Wayne Pivak had to basically rotate guys and really run the rule on a few of these guys, particularly last season, given the injury crisis. But again, I'm looking at the bench here, particularly front five-wise. I think there's scope there for Ireland to be hopeful. Yeah, I think I think that's actually a very good point, that um, they certainly don't seem to have that that kind of depth. Now, there is this Daffy Jenkins on the bench, you know, the six-foot-nine-inch, a huge prospect from from Exeter, so I mean he he is probably the the guy who's going to be in line for replacing Alan Wynne Jones. Um, so I think he he's certainly capable of making an impact. A guy that's kind of on the radar there in terms of his European Cup performances so far this year. But I mean, very exciting backline here for Wales if they can get good from football. I mean. The speed merchant in Rio Dyer that really did impress in the November International Series. Gatland is a big favourite of Josh Adams, so he's back in at 14. Halfpenny, obviously, there for the boot, but also he can provide some line breaks. You've George North at 13, and Joe Hawkins, particularly a guy that is very much admired and respected by Gatland and the Welsh rugby community. I suppose for me, are they missing a trick a little bit in terms of Kieran Williams, who's a form? player here as well for Ospreys but I mean it's a very potent backline if they can get good front football 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's always the key the key with Wales, isn't it? Like I mean, there's there's never any doubt about the the talent once it once it spread it out. And you look Dan Bigger is still to me, I, I rate the guy hugely. And certainly Reese Webb, we have to remember when he comes off the bench, he is a very snipey sort of a scrum half in, in when the plays breaks up in the second half and he's going to be a danger as well. Indeed. No, I think this is a it's a new era again. Again, Warren Gatlin knows everything that needs to be known about the Welsh up, the regions, but it does feel like there's a ending of the Wayne Pivak era. There's optimism, positivity. We're getting into spring. Card of Six Nations. I think there is a renewed focus and optimism here in Welsh rugby circles. Ireland going to be facing a very determined op- opponent, really, on Saturday. I really do. I suppose we can switch to Ireland here, uh, Liam. What are your thoughts on 12? Who do you feel is going to be uh, slotting in there? Yeah, it's 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 a huge call, isn't it? Um, I suppose. Look, Bundyaki hasn't hasn't played line with teams in in months. Um, that'd be a massive gamble, really, at this stage for him. You would probably be looking at, for me, yeah, Ring Rose alongside Short McCluskey. That's the most obvious one. And in that scenario, I I'm not sure that Bundyaki is the kind of guy to be bringing in off the bench. So I think you'd more you'd nearly more have Jamie Osborne coming in off the bench than than Bundyaki. That's kind of the the way I'd be looking at it at the moment. I don't th- I don't think it's quite going to give a, a debut, even though it, it could work out too, of course. But um, to the to to Jamie Osborne in Cardiff, I feel Osborne will be involved. I think twenty three man squad. He has versatility there to cover a multitude of positions within the back three. And also in the three quarters. So I definitely feel he's the form player here, Liam. But as you say, maybe we're looking for a bit of front football. Maybe we're identifying the likes of Hawkins here in North. Maybe a little bit of abrasive running from McCluskey mightn't be the worst thing ever. Along with ring rolls orchestrating here and setting up our back three. So I would probably go for you. I think probably McCluskey. Maybe Bundy's been there. Maybe he's coming come for the French the round two. But... Again, has had precious little time with Connick Rugby. So that'll be a kind of a fascinating watch. I think we already touched on the tight head prop situation here, uh, Liam. Ty Furlong's uh, participation in this game. You know, all the media reports suggest that he's ready. But again, an awful lot of insufficient game minutes here in recent months. Would you go for Furlong or what should you give the position to Finley Bealham, who hasn't put a foot wrong in recent months? Yeah, for 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 me, I mean, we we'd have to look at Beelham starting in big games, you know. Yeah, I I I I in fact I would I would probably start him in two games in this championship, anyway. Um, so wh- why not um have him start and have Ty Furlan come in off the bench, and kind of get get himself back into uh, rugby at that level. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think he's been playing phenomenally well for Connacht rugby in recent weeks. I mean, he scored a half track of tries against Newcastle Falcons, but I think his overall game has really evolved this season. So I think it would be rewards for the player. Again, Furlong has had precious little time, as I said. So I think it's a no-brainer here for Andy Farrell. We need to test out the tighthead prop depth chart. I think Bealham definitely has the has the skill set to re-deliver on the big stage. We need to see it. And again, the Tom O'Toole debate here, I would hope that he'll be getting some sufficient game time against Italy, particularly. But again, we need to look at our tight head prop situation here, particularly. 
and see where it is. I suppose Lou said you have Andrew Porter, obviously. You have the Keen Healy, Dave Kilcoyne, Axis. That'll be a fascinating watch as well here, Liam, to see who will be the backup to Porter on Saturday. I suppose look, at the moment it, 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 it will still probably be Keen Healy because he can still put in a good, you know, 20 minute shift at the end of a game. Um, he has this kind of like try scoring record as well. He's always been very good scrummager, so I think I think he'll probably would get the nod um, as the the backup loose head prop. Mm. Yeah. But I do feel for Dave Kilcoyne that there will be opportunities to impress here during the tournament, and when he gets them, he needs to grab them with both hands because we are running down the clock to World Cup 2023 selection. You also have Jeremy Lockman unavailable for selection due to the thigh injury. Obviously, Andy Farrell is a big fan of Lockman. So again, for Kilcoyne, when he gets the opportunity, he needs to take it. I suppose, Liam, looking at this Welsh-Ireland uh, uh, fixture, who do you feel will prevail in this one? Yeah. Um, look, as you kind of alluded to there, I just think our bench is, without a doubt, going to be a lot stronger. And, and we should be finishing the game stronger than Wales. And on that basis... That's kind of that's kind of what's tipping it for me, but again, of the fixtures this weekend, this is one game that I wouldn't be almighty shocked to see Wales get the win. Um, but I, I have every confidence in the management and a very confidence in the players. I, Johnny Sexton playing, of course, is crucial as well. That also makes a difference when you have, quite simply, the world's best out half available. I suppose if the world's best out half is unavailable here due to injury, it has to go off early. Who would be your backup here? Uh, be to deliver a performance for it? A backup in relation to out half, is it? Yeah, out half, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, it's a, it's a huge thing for Jack Crowley. Wouldn't it be like, you know, to have to slot in? Um, I, I, I think that for this weekend... I have a feeling that um, Burns they might be chosen as the the replacement ten, but um, at the same time, you know, Crowley has to be given a chance during the Six Nations um, to see to see if he can step up uh, in a position where he's not actually hardly played and and think the season for Munster. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see there. Yeah, I'd agree with you here, Liam. I suppose Ross Burns probably the favourite to get that 10 backup jersey, but take nothing away from Jack Crowley. He's there for a reason. And we don't know how things have gone in the Portuguese training camp here uh, leading up to this game. So maybe Farrell may be running it on uh, form lines here a little bit. So I think the key for Ireland here is oxygen. You know, take the oxygen out of the crowd here in Cardiff. Start on the front foot. Look to build up the 3 6 9, 12 lead. And then, you know, our bench, hopefully, in the last quarter, really producing dividends and maybe try scoring opportunities arising. Um, I'd be fascinated. I think this is a fascinating watch of the weekend. I really do. Is this Ireland form guide staying consistent or historically seeing a dip in form in Six Nations culminating in a very disappointing Rugby World Cup campaign thereafter? So I think this is a phenomenally challenging fixture, I think, for Ireland to really get right. If they can get this right, then I think the sky's the limit in terms of this tournament. So I'm going to hedge for Ireland three to five points. But as I said, Dean Wales, do not seldom have two back-to-back championships. It's it's on a knife edge, I think, to be perfectly fair. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it heart over head here, really, for Ireland. But, uh, 
yeah, let's see how it goes. Uh, do you fancy Ireland as well? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would again. I would probably yeah, go go with a, a five points differential for Ireland in the end. Perfect. I suppose we look at England Scotland. That's the second game on Saturday. Steve Borwick starts his England career along with Kevin Sinfield. So again, Eddie Jones given the sack, the most winningest head coach of England's career. So Bill Sweeney and the RFU have made the hard call. Do you feel, Liam, that this appointment will reap rewards for England in the long term? Yeah, I mean, here, here, here is a basically they, they they have to get the win here, um, in Twickenham, and yeah, it's 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 fascinating though because I mean Scotland as as well have a lot of young talent coming in as well. I I feel again. There's a lot of decisions that have to be nailed down, like the, the, the 10 for England has to be nailed down. That centre combination as well has to be nailed down. Who is the scrum half? Are they going, they're going back to Dan Cole for tight head prop, you know? Is he is he the guy that they're, they're basing their scrum around? Um, the hooker injury situation there. So yeah, I I think that that there's there's a there's a basically a lot of selections that England have to get right. Yeah, there's been an avalanche of injuries leading into the Six Nations. Cohen Dickey, as you said, from Exeter, unavailable. Also, Elliot Daly, um, out for the Six Nations tournament as well, uh, due to the hamstring. So, I think just key selection. I'd be fascinated to see what Steve Borwick. I'm gonna add Kevin Sinfield onto the ticket here because I think they come as a tandem. All the attention will be on Steve Borough, but I think the Kevin Sinfield appointment is probably the more astute move, just given Kevin Sinfield's playing career. I know he's been lauded in terms of Leicester Tigers, in terms of the defensive setup and the coaching aspect here to Leicester, revitalising their um, their fortunes. But I suppose what's the Borwick game plan here is it to continue with Eddie Jones or will it become a little bit more structured like we've seen with Leicester Tigers here in terms of creating territory and then attack yeah well I mean look I mean clearly the Eddie Jones kind of system what wasn't working really in in a general sense um you know it's culminated in you know I know they, they won a series in Australia but they, they lost the first test and of course then they had the, the shambles of losing to Argentina as well so um yeah I think I think they're going to get a very structured game going almost if you can say this reverting to a typical English play because that wasn't <laughs> the last few years what England were, were about it was like kind of, um an alien game that they were playing so I think that's the number one thing they're going to get done firstly I think the new coaching ticket will simplify an awful lot of the process it felt to me in the November test series apart from the last 15 minutes against New Zealand where I'd be brutally honest about it here Liam I, I think players just played what was in front of them and ditched the process of Eddie Jones um, good things happened uh, I think Borwick and Sinfield will be saying not to keep it too complicated to really play what's in front of you but also providing that structure that solid set piece scrummaging the line out the attacking territory like Liam in terms of the England pack they have a phenomenal pack here, and it's really the cohesion issues that we've seen between the backs and the forwards. I think that will be remediated a little bit. Whether it happens on Saturday against Scotland is be is a different question entirely. But I think the the the, the material is there here for Steve Borwick and Kevin Sinfield and the management here to really galvanise this team, produce a good tournament, and if they can get the win against Scotland in the Calcutta Cup in Twickenham, uh, all all good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have to remember the last time, you know, that England took on Scotland at Twickenham two years ago, they actually lost that game, you know. So it's not an, a, a, a gimme by by any means. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Sinfield, you know, phenomenal league legend and then followed and worked closely then, of course, at Leicester and coaching tickets. So I think he's going to have a have a huge influence as well. You know, he's another winner, you know, and it's, he's going to be so important. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I think the 10 situation, I think this is a key fixture for Marcus Smith to really set down the marker here for the new head coach. And also Sinfield and the management that he is the guy, he's the guy at 10 because you George Ford coming back from a long-term injury, he'll probably come into the reckoning probably towards the end of the tournament. You've won Farrell obviously there. If there was a different performance of Marcus Smith, I mean, he showed flashes of brilliance, but there's has been inconsistency, particularly from his defensive play. If there was a different performance here, I think media may start to circle here in terms of that 10 jersey here, as you've alluded to here, Liam. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, like Pete, I know people going on about, about Owen Farrell, good player, but I mean, sometimes I think, I think it's, uh, it's kind of almost like all oh, going through him, and he doesn't quite have that vision, you know, uh, that overall vision, and um, and I, I, I've always kind of been looking at two, you know, Manu Tulagi over reliance on the guy. It's like if he's gone, England would, would crumble. You have Henry Slay there who. He's ruled out of this this week's uh, opener, yeah. but I, th- I think he has to be uh, in the equation as well. Oh, exactly. Uh, Joe Marchant from Harlequins, for me, is a quality player. I'd hope under Steve Borwick that he can get sufficient game minutes to really impress here, because he's under 20 days were prolific. So, I mean, he, he's a, he has massive potential here in this England jersey. So, But I suppose, Liam, kind of looking at Scotland... It is kind of a, a put-up or shut-up for Gregor Townsend. There's been some astute recruiting done in terms of Ben Healy. There's been rumours about John Cooney, obviously. There's um, McConaughey as well uh, coming in. So, I mean, the November Test Match Series was very positive for Scotland. They went toe-to-toe with New Zealand for 65 minutes. So, really, it's a case of whether their pack really holds up here to the acid test of England at Twickenham on Saturday, really, given that backline that they have. Yeah, and again, they have they actually have a very good backline. If if the likes of Duhan van der Merwe and uh, Darcy Graham are there, and then you have Finn Russell and Ali Price, yeah, I mean, just tremendous, tremendous all-round players there. I, I think up front, uh, crucially, we have Johnny Gray is joined up, um, and that that's actually crucial. Um, he's a he's simply one, one of the best locks around. Um, and yeah, I, I think also the the that Sam Skinner uh, is another excellent player. He's going to be probably playing as well. And um, I think yeah, again for Scotland, it's more not quite back row. It's more the front five that had to front up really. Yeah, I think they've shown good good promising moments, particularly in November. But there have been kind of key bones, particularly in the Six Nations last season, where defensively in the mall. That has let them down. Sin bins as well to front five players. So it's going to be an interesting to see how they've evolved here. But can you see Ben Healy featuring it all here in 23-man squad? I mean, the halfback, obviously the, the 10 jersey here, there's between himself, Blair Kinghorn, 
uh, for that backup to Finn Russell. Do you see him being trust in, or is it more kind of experience for Ben this weekend going into a Calcutta Cup game? Well, again, I mean, I mean, I, I have absolutely no fear of him. He's made physically for international rugby. Um, he's on form in terms of even if we're looking at the, the outhouse playing in Ireland, <laughs> he's arguably the one on form. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He's been he's gotten game time. It hasn't been a case of him being announced for Scotland and suddenly never seen with Munster again, you know. So um, he's shown real flashes of, of excellent rugby. And yeah, I, I, I could actually see him on the bench. I actually could see him on the bench. And he also had this this, this smash and boot when they wanted to pin pin um, the English back in the second half. I absolutely could see him. It'd be a nice option to have on the bench, wouldn't it, when the game in the melting pot where you'd need a big boot. I mean, Hogg has been that kind of key guy in terms of getting touch finders, but I think Healy's kicking range. He's evolving game management as well here, Liam. He's progressively improved season over season. I think there's been good vibes coming out of that Scottish camp in terms of the impression that Ben Healy has made on his uh, new colleagues, particularly in Scotland. So would not be surprised, but I mean, it might be a bitter disappointment for Blair Kinghorn, who's very much in the mould of Finn Russell, I'm very much a playmaker 10, looking to release his outside backs. So I think it'll be an interesting call from Gregor Townsend, just to see how he plays that, because... You know, looking at England, there might be cohesion issues early. And from a Scotland perspective, it could be a nice opportunity for them to... Like last season, they had a win over England in Murrayfield. Never capitalised on it with a miserable performance in Cardiff against Wales. Again, they need a result here really to kind of really show themselves as real genuine contenders for the Six Nations. Yeah, and again, as you as you as I suppose was was happened there in, in the in the autumn, Scotland probably came away next to Ireland, you know, in terms of the the some of the Six Nations teams in terms of having a really competitive and a productive um, autumn nations uh, fixture list. Um, and there there certainly was progression there. But yeah, I mean, look, with the Scots, it's kind of put up or shut up at this stage, isn't it really, you know? I mean, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of guys there who really have to deliver the likes of Finn Russell and, and the likes of the some of the other more prominent players. And yeah, um, I mean, I suppose, yeah, I didn't realise that actually Scotland are going for three wins in a row against England. <laughs> wow. wow, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, clearly they, they, they have their number at a certain point. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, the new didn't. I think that the new team structure and the 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 new the way that that England are going to play and front up. I think I think it definitely is going to probably be the crucial point. I think England will maybe I'd say seven points, seven point victory for England over the Scots. Sense in terms of this being a new era for England, will be an awful lot of kind of positive vibes coming from the England camp. I think it's a, a case of where England really have to go down to basics, essentially, Liam, as you said, really structure the game here. England, when have they been dominant? They've had a very imperious back and pack platform, particularly front five. Um, so, I mean, the weather is set fair for Saturday, 11 degrees, sunny. I mean, there may be a temptation to throw the ball around, but that could fall into Scotland's hands. I think Steve Borwick is going to really structure this game to 
to really test the Scotland front five from early doors, see if they can uh, create penalties and create scrummaging, particularly Dan Cole uh, being back as prop, I think is a huge one for that respect. Again, may not say a whole pile in terms of depth chart there in England right now, but I think it's a result that Steve Borwick and Kevin Sinfield and the management require. I think they'll get the job done. I think they'll just get it done by three to five points here, but uh, maybe it's just a work in progress for England. But again, from a Scotland perspective, it is having to depend on their front five and particularly the bench coming off, coming on with 20, 30 minutes to go to really shore that up because it was shown against New Zealand. The bench impact didn't deliver. If it's a similar performance here against England and Twickenham, then I think England will nick this late. Finally, Lean, Rome, Italy, France, any chance for the Italians? I know there's been a very optimistic November. They had a marquee win over Australia. Yeah, I think I, I give them a chance, a, a slim chance, but um, chance nonetheless. I think that Italian rugby, it's again, it's 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 onwards and upwards, isn't it? Benetton are now arguably as good as any team in in the URC. They really are. They've been very consistent this season, and uh, fifteen of the Benetton team are in the Italian squad and look I mean they, they, the Italy in terms of the autumn they were able to have a good win there against the Simones um, they also that was kind of a back up there to the win that they had in the last six nations against Italy sorry against Wales <laughs> um, so um, and Andrzej Capuzzo is, is scoring tries for fun he, he scored got tries in the win there against Australia. But then I suppose, look, they were brought down to back to work when they were absolutely walloped by South Africa. So it's like, where where exactly are they? Um, I think Italy are always first up fixture. They're always very tough to beat. They, they put everything on the line. Um, they are at home. France, we have to see what way they turn up. I think France will do it, but I think that it will be a, a close run affair I think yeah I mean for Italy a hope for tournament organisers here Liam genuinely is that they can deliver one or two wins in this tournament and maybe this is one that they will earmark maybe they're hoping here that the French have one eye on Dublin in round two uh, on the following Saturday so I mean you know it, it could be possible here it'd be very interesting to see how, how Fabian Galtier plays this does he play the front line guys against Italy knowing that there's a quick turnaround in Dublin. I think it might be a 50-50 selection there in terms of squad players getting minutes, but also some prominent guys like DuPont and Mac forming that partnership early in the, the tournament. So I think for Italy, again, it's really down to front five. And it's, again, similar to Scotland to a certain respect. Now, Rusa is a magnificent talent in terms of his line-out operating. You know, he led most line-out uh, possessions with 28 last season in the tournament. I think the line-out is certainly one where they've really grown in stature. My problem here at Italy is, and I think South Africa showed in spades, was in terms of the scrummaging. It went backwards fairly often. And that is the case here. Like likes Bailly here from a, from a French perspective. I think, you know, early penalty concessions here, it could be ominous enough for Italy. But you, you just don't know what the French psyche here. I mean, you know, in terms of this fixture, the quick turnaround to Dublin, 
Italy do have an awful lot of going for them in terms of upside, but I mean, they still have to evolve a little bit more, I think, to be France, given what they've shown in the November Tessis series. Yeah, they do, they do certainly do have to evolve a bit more. And uh, the fact that they're without Paulo Garbisi, who is, who is one of the best upcoming young outhabs, certainly also makes a big difference. I just feel, you know, in Italian rugby, that there, there's something there's something happening there. It's you know they they they've beaten Ireland, they've beaten Wales, and they've beaten Scotland, and uh, there, there's been a few close uh, close run things again down the last few years against France as well. So um, I, I would probably yeah, I would have to would have to hedge it and say that it would be France, um, probably ten points, something like forty thirty or something. Very high scoring game actually I think. France will give points to Italy I think just given the opening round but again Italy will look to play creative expansive rugby whenever they get the opportunity particularly with Cattuso there for you know he's an amazing Capuzzo is very prominent probably Tomas Allen as well probably comes into the reckoning here so there won't be short of invention here creativity they've been able to carve out chances and try scoring opportunities against the top nations so I think just the fear, the genuine fear here is that France will, may not need to turn it on fully, but still get the job done, maybe get the, the bonus point win over Italy. Probably the 7-10 points is probably, I would consider, not bad for Italy. But again, it's really down to that front five, and I think the bench chart then, particularly in the last 30 minutes, we could see maybe a few more tries for France. I think marginally, if I'm going for it, I think 15 points for France, but again... You just don't know what France in terms of psyche. They do have the unbeaten run coming into this. I believe the 13 test matches unbeaten. The record is 18. So that's nearly in sight. So maybe that's a focal point for them as well from a French perspective. So it'll be interesting just to see the Fabien Galtier uh, selection here, conscious of the, the Dublin trip on road. But, but again, as, as you as you point out, even that's one thing area for, for me intriguingly for France has been what are the backup um halfbacks for France you know have we do we even know who that who that is well we probably do um but they they need game time as well um so whether he if there's a mix and match selection as you say for this weekend because they're gonna have to run the rule over their 10 particularly and even their scrum half situation as well if DuPont heaven forbid went down with an injury you know they're in a little bit of a bind in terms of you know guys not getting sufficient game minutes ahead of the World Cup you know, when you consider that they're in the same pool as New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup, I mean, injuries do happen. So it has been a very consistent side from France, more so than in previous historical years, where they've top, topsy-turvy, they've changed personnel every two, three games, not getting a proper read in terms of stability. But they have kind of picked a 30 to 40 man squad here consistently that are getting the job done. But it's a great point, Liam. I think halfback-wise for Fran- or France... Particularly, it is an area which can be exploited if Dupont and Entomac were not to be there. Yeah, well, d- d- there is d- d- there is Nolan Legare, um, uh, who is Nolan Legaric actually uh, at the Racing. He seems to be the backup to Dupont, and then of course you're probably looking at um, Jalibar for the backup maybe to to Intimax. But um, again, both those guys kind of low, probably low in cap numbers. Yeah, it's that cohesion as well. It's all very well having the potential in the club, 
professional club, but Test match rugby is a different beast altogether. Just a different level in terms of your cohesion and your synchronization with your partner, your halfback partner. So I think uh, I think it's something that France may have to review, but maybe they'll just go gun ho this year and really kind of look to kind of ride the tails of the likes of Tupont and Entomac. But certainly something there to really watch out for. And if they can't do it against Italy, when will they do it here, Liam? I'd say. Yeah, and also look, look, and it's World Cup year, and this is their World Cup. You, you kind of wonder, do they want to kind of maybe not quite peak right now? I know that's a mad thing to say, but like it's like, you know, maybe to peak towards the end of this tournament, the last maybe two games of this tournament. So that's maybe something that they have to kind of look at. And, and again, maybe gives gives Italy a bit of a chance, I think. I think we've seen with Ireland, historically, case study-wise, even four years ago, there was a very indifferent Six Nations. People kind of wrote it off thinking... Yeah, it's fine, but then you're just building momentum, trying to create momentum and form going into a World Cup. That can also be a bit of a a bit of an issue here if you're chasing for form, chasing results. So I think this is why the Six Nations is so evenly poised here, Liam. I think I honestly do, because teams will want to finish the Six Nations tournament on the front foot and really impress. And other teams may have to kind of look within themselves really resurrect or may have to make harsh calls particularly in summer camps heading into a 2023 which they may not have wanted to do so i think from that perspective here Liam, i think it's all set up nicely um so we're kind of thinking france here anyway hoping that italy give uh, france a bit of a rattle though ahead of uh, the dublin test match uh, the following saturday you'd have to not look beyond france to, to get the win Exactly. Liam, we'll leave it there, a lengthy one, but I think we had an awful lot to call out tonight in terms of Six Nations preview. Looked at the Munster personnel issues, Benetton rugby, and also the URC from a province's perspective. I suppose next week we'll run the rule over round one of the Guinness Six Nations, see who's impressed, who's under pressure, and look ahead to round two uh, the following weekend. So until then, Liam, enjoy the rugby, and we'll chat next week. We will indeed. All right. Good luck, Mark. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.